If you're not feeling dissatisfied, you will、yeah. not be challenged enough to make something beautiful. You'll just accept it. Like, like I think about、uh. this a lot. The person who loves that shovel, they're not going to invent the backhoe. They're just not because、mm-hmm. they're happy with the shovel. Like the the guy、mm-hmm. who loves the broom, they're not going to invent the rotary broom in front of the bobcat. They're just not because they're happy with it.、Sure. Anybody who's happy with the world, you're not going to be a good artist. You're just not because you don't have the desire to replace it. And to make your will vocalized on the planet, and you have to be able to understand that that feeling of dissatisfaction is part of the job requirement. Oh man, you guys, listen to that teaser. That was Jeff, our buddy Jeff Johnson. He's on the show today, and、uh, that's some high tone poetry right there. We talk a lot more about. Uh, being unsatisfied, dissatisfied, makes me want to listen to the replacements right now. Right? You know, we talk about the replacements too.、Uh, poster that Jeff worked on, but I'm getting ahead of myself. You guys, this is welcome. Welcome. Are you seated? Are you sitting down right now? This is this is tangents. It's、uh, this is my podcast. It's an art and design podcast where I have conversations with professional graphic designers. Illustrators and artists, right? Yeah, this is a、uh, uh, second season beginning, right? Episode one,、uh, or it might just be the,、uh, one episode, one season in episode ten. I don't really know yet. I'm trying to figure that shit out. But who cares about numbers, man? It's a、uh, Jeff Jeffrey K. Johnson is on the show today, so that man, that's something. But anyways, this is my little. Monologue here, where I always kind of start things off. I always say, you know, update everybody on on new interesting facts or or jokes or stories or you know, letting you guys know what I'm up to or what you're up to or your parents. What are they doing right now? I don't know, but、uh, we're back in it. And well, what's 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 new, man? What's new recently with me? Well, there have been some. Great things that happened. There have been some not so great things that have happened to me, but、uh, I I'm not gonna focus on the bad shit because who wants to do that, right? So so、uh, I'm gonna focus on the good things, and、uh, I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about the the great things that have happened to me in the last several months, and there are there are plenty, right?、Um, I not too long ago I was at Adobe Max, which is a Art and design, kind of more of a tech conference, but but I'll call it a design conference, and they have it,、uh, you know, once a year in other cities, usually in the U.S. This year, Adobe Max 2017 was in Las Vegas, and I was like, ah,、uh, and I was like, oh man, I don't really care to go to Vegas, but my buddy Megan that works at Adobe, she she had an extra ticket, you know what I mean, and she just randomly emailed me and was like, hey Corey, I I、uh, don't remember if I asked you. I was, you know, I got an extra comp ticket. Wondering if you want to go to Adobe Max, and then I was like, "What? Hell yeah!" So had to go, had to go, right? I had to drop the grand or whatever, just paying for the hotel. But you know, hey, it, there was like a phone in the right near next to the toilet. It was just kind of everything was w- really gold and marbly. It was, it was strange, man. But it was great. I mean, it was an amazing time at Adobe Max. That I had, I hung out with Chuck Anderson and the CSA Design crew, all of our buddies Eric and and、uh, Giovanni and Sheridan, and Chuck and me and 
Sam Anderson, our buddy Sam Anderson. We ate burritos and uh, went to the Neon Sign Museum. Oh, man, it was great. I got to meet uh, so many great people. I, I fucking met James Victoria. Oh, shit, dude. I, I just kept on patting him on the shoulder saying, uh, James, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I just kept on repeating that. He probably thought I was like on acid or something. I don't know, but I, uh, I wasn't, but I was just excited because, uh, <laughs> cause he's great. You know, I love his art, love his arts, his graphic, uh, arts and, uh, his attitude to life. You know what I mean? Anyways, uh, I saw our buddy Aaron Draplin and Lee McColai, right? We got to see them. Aaron, uh, put my face on a 40 foot screen, you know? And on his lecture, you know, I have a little clip. I'll, I had to edit it down a little bit due to time here. Trying, but essentially, uh, <laughs> this was towards the end of Aaron's lecture, and he ended up giving like top five things to check out at Adobe Max. And um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll play for you right now what happened. Okay, five recommendations of shit you guys got to see while you're here. Five things you got to go see. Charles Spencer Anderson is here, and this is my design hero right here. I'll just say it. This is my design hero. This is the guy that made it okay to have like fun with graphic design, you know? And I went to Minneapolis because of these three names right here, and I got to work for him and be a scanner, and I've had pork chops with him over dinner, and he is a buddy, and I have great respect for him and his family, and just his whole deal and how, how good, you know, the, 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 the care he takes of all those kids that work for him and, you know, these guys. Charles Spencer, you guys got to just go get the book. Get the book, okay? Tad Carpenter is here from, from, from Kansas and, and Kansas City, Missouri. What an incredible, you know, not a mean, but, and I've tried. I have, I've said horrible things right to his face. Still stands there and smiles. I don't know. It's amazing. Go see Tad's deal here. Go to his merch table. Load up on his goodies. And... A bonus one, everybody. Corey Loven, everybody. Corey, everybody. Corey Loven, everybody. Now, specifically ladies, when you see him in the great halls of the Venetian here, just go up and introduce yourselves and be nice. Get a good look at that face and go and be nice and uh, make friends and go gambling and drinking and fighting and wrestling or whatever the hell you guys are doing. But here's one you want on your team. Corey Loven, everybody. Okay. All right. Yeah, pretty crazy, right? Oh, shit. Well, yeah, that was pretty nuts, man. There were some random people that would that came up to me after that and they were like, oh, hey, you're, you're that dude. You know what I mean? Uh, that was on Aaron's lecture, Draplin's lecture, whatever. It was great, man. We hung out. Sam Anderson and I hung out with Aaron and Lee, and we were playing fucking, like, they, they showed us how to play roulette. I'd never played it before. Uh, it was great. Fucking, what a what a day. What what a, what a day at Adobe Max. And then the following day, which I think was actually on my birthday, then Chuck, our buddy Chuck Anderson of CSA Design, he gave a lecture, and... Um, and I have a little clip for that as well. And he spoke a little bit about it. Name dropped yours truly in the beginning. Let's check it out. One sec. I also wouldn't be here without the, uh, the work of so many amazing designers that I've been uh, blessed enough to work with uh, over the decades. And uh, a lot of them are sitting right back there in that row. So next to Corey Loven. There he is. Stand up, Corey. He's everywhere. 
All right. All right. Yeah. Pretty trippy, right? I just stood up and I was like, "Woo, it's me." All right. I don't know. Yeah. It was great. I, man, what a trip. I was glowing like a three-month pregnant woman, you know? <laughs> Anyways, all right. Let's let's get to the let's get to the meat and potatoes here, all right? Our buddy Jeff, Jeffrey K. Johnson is on the show today. He's an amazing fucking graphic designer. He owns Replace, the design studio currently in South Minneapolis, formerly Spunk Design Machine, now it's Replace Design. Yeah, it's a great episode, man. Uh, Jeff is a—he's a character. He's a—he's an amazing dude, a wealth of knowledge. On that guy, we talk about psychology, fucking ecosystem hunting, and brand ID. Joe Duffy is in there. We talk a lot about Joe because uh, Jeff used to work there with Joe at, at Duffy and Partners, right? And talk about Pat Fallon and the Fallon days, and. Uh, Talk about design smoke and, and so much more. But uh, let's go to the studio. Hey, that's good. That's for the podcast. There. Going on the website. You gotta send that to me. Thanks for hanging out, man. And, and, right, well, and, not, and uh, what an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me on Tangents, and I've been a fan of your podcast. Oh, thanks, uh, dude. Ever since you told me about it, so thanks for coming over and doing this dumb thing. There have been a couple of people that we've had on the past on the show uh, that have worked here at Replace. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of them, and Spunk formerly before that, right? But yep. two of them. Let's see, Alex Gringling and Alex. then Ross. Brugging. Rossi Pants, as we know him, Rossi Pants. Who, I forgot that Ross used to work for you years ago. Yeah, you know, you, you stay in business long enough, man, and you just have lots of people going through your doors. So I'm actually Dude. proud of that about the shop. Like, you know, yeah. a lot of things maybe I'm not so proud of, but I am proud of the fact that it is, uh, we tend to hire people who are really, really talented and in school or just out of school when other shops don't give them a chance. Sure. And there's guys like Alex Greenling or... Ross Brugink or Steve Yokish or Jason Walzer yeah. or Andy Weaver or Andrew Voss right. or fill in the blank, you know, two dozen other folks have come through here and they yeah. enrich my lives. But Rossi is cool. It was awesome. Yeah, I actually man. had Ross's old computer, <laughs> which like, I currently. He, well, no, I had it for years. It was like his like student computer, like <laughs> like, and we used it for emails in the house, and my wife had it. Oh, okay. And it was like it still had like a bunch of his personal stuff on it that we purged most of it. But I think my wife actually found like old breakup letters of old girlfriends of Ross's on there once. No, which is way. computer's gone now, so there's more evidence. But I think I think my I think my. Uh, <laughs> I think Molly did actually find old breakup letters. Somebody breaking up with Ross. Not he was he was the break e break or break e. Is, who's yeah. Molly? Is that your Molly's wife? my wife? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. I'd like to say my first wife. Your first? <laughs> have you been like? Have you had another? It's only one. It's only only one. that makes yeah. sense now that I think about it. Yeah, but she's pretty tired of me introducing her as my first wife. It's <laughs> boring. Actually, Ross took his wedding videos in that canoe that's right over your head. So no that custom-made, handmade cedar strip canoe over there. This is, we should describe this is kind of this is a yeah. house call. This is a house call. As we're at we, as Replace we right it. now. We're at the Replace studio right we're, now. We're at Jeff's shop right now, and this is, uh, you know, on a, on leafy streets in South Minneapolis. 
A beautiful, beautiful, yeah, southern, south Minneapolis neighborhood of Nokomis, or near Lake Hiawatha. We're just a few blocks from Lake Nokomis. And we've been here in this neighborhood for 13 years. We've been in this location for six. Um, Been in business for almost 22 years now. So, yeah, time goes fast, man. You have. Yeah, shop's been in business since 96. So we'll be coming up on our 22nd year next year. I, um, oh, so shit, long time. We can rewind. Let's rewind a little bit because we don't. <laughs> I feel like a psychologist every time I talk to people. Sometimes I think Jeff, you're, like, like, you're a psychologist every day of your life. You just happen to find yourself in the design industry. Yeah, it seems well poised that you would find yourself doing this. Oh, that's interesting. I like that. I think you care like more that. about psychology than you care about design. I think design is the lens through which you experience the human condition. Like uh, me personally, or you think No, you. Well, general. I think, yeah, you personally for sure, but I think yeah. uh, designers in specific, but artists in general, yeah. here's the prerequisite to, be, to being a good designer that I think. I've got it down to this. Yeah. You have to be a pretty dissatisfied human being. And, and it's taken me a while to understand that. And I think it's generally in all art. Like, I don't think you can be an artist and be 100% satisfied. It's just not part of the J-O-B. Sure. Uh, because to be an artist means that you want to make something beautiful in the world. Like, that's your goal, whether that's yeah. a play or a piece of dance or, in my case, redesigning the Geek Squad logo or, you know, right. doing Fruitopia or doing any of the shit that I do on Replace Everything. Like, I want to make something beautiful in the world. That's my motivation. Yeah. But to have that motivation, man, you have to already <laughs> believe that it's not beautiful enough or you have to believe that it is ugly. And yeah, there's a lot of ugly things in the world, like crushing, fucking horrible, ugly things in the world that surround you like a demon spawn virus. Oh, yeah. And you're dissatisfied. Like you you don't wake up in the morning as a great artist or a great designer and say, man, I'm so satisfied. Everything's beautiful. It's great. Right. Kuna fucking Matata. I'm awesome. (laughs) Go Go to sleep. No, that's not why you get up. You get up and you feel like, no, it's ugly. Sure. And it is. Like if you were to drive through any strip mall in America... You're going to drive through an intense, horrific ugliness, sure. and that's that's what makes you good. That, that's what makes you good. So, like, there yeah. is, we 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 sometimes berate our design brothers and sisters who are a little bit arrogant, and and sure. certainly we know designers that we would put in the arrogant category. Yeah. I'd be guilty myself saying that, but yeah. uh, you you sort of cultivate this dissatisfaction, and you know, I was just in I was in the Rockies for ten days. I just got back from elk hunting. Recently, uh, yeah, I go I go whale hunting every year. I do ecosystem hunting with buddies of mine. And like when there's like a when there's a need, we go hunting. We go what every is, year. What is ecosystem hunting? What is that? Ecosystem hunting is like the rules are very simple. Uh, my I didn't you know, I didn't hunt for 25 years. I didn't touch a gun for 25 years. But yeah. I, I grew up super broke in North Dakota, like poverty level farm family. Sure. And we hunted to eat. So that's what we did. Like we we hunted oh, food man. to eat. And I was the eighth kid in a family of eighth and. I think my dad made like four grand a year or something like that. Like it was like just extreme. I remember that sure. figure because my first day interning for Duffy, my first day in the job, I spent $4,000 on color copiers one day. Oh <laughs> like one day gosh. I spent four grand on color copies. And I remember going to whatever copy service to get four grand for a new yeah. business pitch. pitch. This is 92. Dude. And I spent four grand that day on color copies. And I remember thinking... That's what my dad made last year. He made $4,000 and I just That's spent amazing. it on color photocopies. But yeah, so we hunted all the time. And then like yeah. when, I, when I went to art school at age 18, like I just yeah. discovered naked art chicks and like, fuck that. I don't need to hunt. Screw it. Like didn't, <laughs> didn't touch a weapon for 25 years um, uh, and had no interest. Uh, but a good buddy of mine, guy I run marathons with, said, you know, there's actually less and less hunters every year. And that is true. There are less and less hunters every year in America. Huh. 
like I think the stats are to check them up again, but I think in 1970, there were like 40 million American hunters with licenses. Sure. I think now it's about 12 million a year, people have hunting licenses. Wow. I mean, everybody's gunned up to the hilt. Um, and I don't, I'm not like a gun dude. I don't fetishize guns, but sure. my dad was a sniper in the 10th Mountain Division. Wow. Uh, yeah, in the Korean man. War. And he just, that's, that was his life, his yeah, weapon. Absolutely. So he passed it on to me. Um, yeah. And uh, so there's, there's actually a need for game management in the Western U.S., Sure. And uh, uh, we've been doing elk hunting um, uh, up in the Rockies. I've been going for eight years. I went. I didn't really believe him for the first couple of years. Like, no, nah, there's plenty of hunters out there. But yeah, no, they're like Yellowstone had like what they have. They had something like 17 million elk in Yellowstone Park, really? and they finally released wolves to get the herd down to like three or four million, and it oh, saved the park. Man. Like the, the elk had been overrunning Yellowstone, and in truth. I'm pro-predator. I think if there's more predators, you wouldn't have a need for hunters. But, you know, we sure. don't like wolves around, you know, ranches and people. So we have a yeah. thing with predators. Yeah, but I'm pro-predator. want more of them. I think they're doing a good job. They don't need me. Uh, but the, the Yellowstone example is a really good example of just, like, how overrun, how out of balance the ecosystem sure. can get. Um, and they saved the park. Like, there's a great documentary about how bringing wolves back into Yellowstone actually changed the course of rivers because oh, it brought wow. the trees back that had been mowed down completely. Jeez. Uh, that's a long tangent, but... Uh, you were, but you were there recently. I just got back, yeah. I was there. Okay. I got in my van with three other guys. We had, we had a bed in the back of my 2007 Dodge Caravan. We built a little bed. <laughs> okay. Drove all the way up there. Took my like minivan. Like This minivan was going up in these old, like, you know you know jeep trails up yeah. to like nine thousand feet and like the <laughs> suspension just going and you just feel the whole minivan going i belong in a target parking lot i don't belong here um but anyway the point is like we were in the mountains for 10 days and we'd hike like yeah. 10 15 miles a day i didn't get anything this year i didn't i just didn't feel comfortable any of the shots i had so i didn't and i've never okay. shot anything i've never eaten and i've never shot anything never killed oh, so wow. that's like a big deal to me like last year i got my bull elk at 458 yards with a hard shot. Oh, and wow. That's, that's like four and a half football fields shooting uh, a, pro a projectile the size of a candy corn, four and a half football fields into a milk jug. <laughs> that's what you have to do oh while you're gosh. sweaty and hot and like whatever and in wow. snow or whatever. Yeah, right, right. Um, but I grew up doing it and it's interesting to be back in that world. Yeah. But when I got, when we leave hunting camp, we're in like five different camps up there in the Rockies on the Continental Divide. And we like go back to like Butte, Montana in a strip mall. And, it, and like yeah. you just have this re-entry into the commercial Leviathan late term abortion that is the American strip mall. And you like, you really have this, you have this feeling, Corey, that's like, have we really as a species, how could we've gotten it so wrong? Like, how could we sure. have made it so ugly? Because like, yeah. I know a hundred designers that if you gave them that job, they would make a really beautiful thing. But as an aggregate species, we have just made something so ugly. So the point of all this is that, Gosh. Like if you were to drive through any given strip mall, you feel really dissatisfied Yeah, and you should feel dissatisfied. Like it's not pretty and yeah. that's a good requirement for being an artist of any kind, but being a good one is that you should really be in touch with that dissatisfaction. I know. I'm sure you feel it. You must yeah. feel it. Yeah. Yeah, man. Just walking around, you feel it. Yeah. I think, uh, well, how, yeah. How do you feel? Can you, can you look at things and enjoy them for, you know, uh, something brings to mind, Jeff, of like. You know, taking type 101 class, right? You learn about kerning and like 
how ugly papyrus and hobo is, right? <laughs> and all these other type things. In the wrong context. <laughs> yeah, but, but I don't know. Like When I was younger, I feel like it was kind of, I was more judging of that just because you're new to that world, right? But I can still look at things and enjoy them even if it's something that I'm like, oh, that's ugly, you know, like should they should attract that shit tighter you know what i mean kernan wise or whatever you yeah. know what i mean no i, I mean i Do you um, feel that way like very much a, so and i live in a, i live in a bubble so like i really i've made a bubble for myself so i live in this yeah neighborhood where i'm in south minneapolis right now by lake nicomas i have right. my studio here been here for 13 years i live five blocks away with my wife and two kids sure um, and i have kind of a five block radius that is the majority of my life sure and then i get outside that radius from time to time. Yeah. But if you live in Minneapolis, if you're lucky enough to live here, as yeah. you and I do, <laughs> like I deliberately pick Minneapolis over any place on the planet Earth. And it's not braggadocio, it's just the truth. I could live anywhere. Like I could, if I wanted to live totally. in Beijing, I could find a way to get myself to Beijing and live there. Yeah. Lived in New Zealand for a while and, and worked through most of Western Europe and, and, and really, really had to decide. Like I showed up in Minneapolis in 1992, literally living out of my 83 Buick. So I, I really wanted to live here, but it took me a long time to really be deliberate in how I want to live here. Like Minneapolis is a, a functionally beautiful city. Like yeah. it's just There's lakes and rivers and streams and well-designed neighborhoods and stuff that I really, really like. Sure. So I live in a bubble, but to answer your question, I guess, um, like I can enjoy a lot of things. Yeah. But uh, the, the truth is like you, you and I... Um, we sometimes feel crowded by like all of our designer friends. I think we know so many sure. designers. But imagine a circle. Got that circle in your mind? Got yeah. It? Is it there? Corey, you have it? Got yeah, I got it. Got man. Circle. <laughs> now imagine, imagine like a 0.01% slice of that circle, like just a little pie shape. Sure. 0.01 slice. That represents all the people who give a shit about aesthetics on planet Earth. Like that's it. Like that's, right. that's it. Yeah. Like it's yeah. such a small group. Yeah. And I put like the guy who cares about the radius on the curb on the street and the guy who really wants that injection molding on the inside of the Chevy yeah. van and the person who really cares about the snaps on your shirt and making sure the snap closure is right. Yeah, man. Everybody, industrial designers, sculptors, graphic designers, everybody. Like the right. whole people who really give a shit. Yeah. It's so small. Now it feels like there's lots of them because yeah. you know them all <laughs> like, right. and you hang out with them and you have drinks with them and you went to design school with them. Right. But man, there's just so many people who don't give a shit. So I, I, I would say one of the reasons that I started this studio and was so impressed at the group that I worked with at Duffy Design and Fallon yeah. and, and the folks I've surrounded myself with, I try to surround myself with the give a shit people. That, that yeah. includes clients, friends, like people I work with. Absolutely. Like if you're if you're in this studio in any context on any on whatever side of the gun you're on, Corey. Yeah. Including you, like including you. You're right. here. Yeah. Like if you're in this studio, it's because you give a shit. And that's I know that's man. a lucky thing. And I think if you were challenged most people with that question, why did you hire anybody for anything? Yeah. You hired them because they really gave a shit. Well, let's go back, man. Like where did you where are you from? Where'd you grow hmm. up? Yeah, so uh, I'm from here. I'm I'm from, from Minneapolis. I'm area? from North Dakota. I'm from North Dakota. From North, North Dakota. Dakota. Proudly, proudly from North Dakota. Very proudly, proud of my North Dakota heritage. What city? What town? A little tiny town called Horace, North Dakota, just south of Fargo. So yeah, I grew oh, up way. in a farm community. Yeah. I grew up in a little tiny town, but our family farm was just like two miles outside of the town I grew up in. So like I would get up in my house in Horace, which was at the time was population like. 
200 probably something like that sure it's bigger now yeah. and then we would go to work on the farm two miles away so i'm the youngest of eight okay um in a farm family i currently own my family farm when i got out of design school i inherited a heavily leveraged farm that my uncles and my dad had like buried into this six-figure debt Wow. So congratulations. <laughs> my, dad, my dad died right when I started working at Duffy, right out of school. Oh, so, um, uh, yeah, he had a good run, man. Like, like combat vet. He chewed like 10 cans of really? right-cut chewing tobacco a week okay. like, and ate it. Like he, didn't, like he didn't spit it out. Like he ate oh, 10 cans man. of chewing tobacco. Like he just gutted it. Um, so I, I tend to think of him as like Olympic level athlete that just like had a lifestyle sure. that did not cotton to that. And, yeah, yeah, he died. He died pretty young. He died. He was like a sixty-two or something like that. I was twenty-three when he young. passed. Yeah, man. Um, but uh, I grew up in rural North Dakota. Yeah. Um, went to college uh, at a place called Moorhead State. Okay. Um, which, if you're a design dork around here, Moorhead State is like the hellmouth of design. Like, yeah. there's just so many fucking weirdos who just came out of that place and like who. Uh, like Sharon Warner, Sharon, um, I forgot that she's from Moorhead State. Uh, Tim Larson, Tim he was Larson like the prototypical right? Moorhead State grad. Yes. Um, Scott uh, Scott Thayer's over at Wink is oh, a Moorhead yeah. State guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I never uh, knew how to pronounce Scott's last name. Scott Thayer's. Yeah. Scott Shore, Thayers. another designer from there. Oh, shit. Uh, myself, Haley Johnson, who's probably one of my favorite designers Haley in the Johnson. whole right, freaking right. freaking world. Sarah Nelson over at right. Sarah's, and she's um, one half of Aesthetic Apparatus. Um, uh, Mike from was Aesthetic. It? Okay, it was Mike. Oh, yeah. okay. He actually grew up, um, uh, Mike Brzezinski grew up 30 miles from me in rural North Dakota. Oh, shit. And I think his sister dated one of my best friends and my sister dated that same friend <laughs> at, at, at around about the same time. Or like Small the saying, world. well, the saying in Fargo is like, you never break up, you just lose your turn. Like that's, <laughs> that's, kind, of the, that's kind of the truth. And, and more people than that, but there's just... Shit ton of, des- of designers. Well, what was it? Was it that one guy? Was one it- guy named Phil Mousseau. So there's one like just straight up design weirdo. So like I left high school not really knowing what design was yeah. at all, and and few people did. Right. Like the difference. I got out of high school in '87. The difference between people who would have left high school education at that point in America really wouldn't know what design is. But 20 years later, even like in 2007, yeah, high school students would say, "Well, what kind of design?" And that, that, that has a lot to do with like the Project what, Runway generation. Like sure. in Europe, they're kind of 40 years ahead of us. Like they'd understand all the different types of design, but it really didn't happen in the U.S. till like 2007 or so. Oh, and wow. it really was like Project Runway changed everything for, for those kids. Uh, but yeah, I just weird. discovered Moorhead State. I actually went to University of North Dakota on an art scholarship. Like I got a scholarship. No way. Uh, well, I was just super broke, and there's no MS. Was it MSU or is that Mankato? UND was where I got an art scholarship, okay. and then I transferred to Moorhead State my my sophomore Moorhead year. State. But I was I was flat broke, man. I had no money, and like I I mean yeah. I literally failed my army physical, <laughs> and oh, like really? and in the in the processing, yeah, I couldn't do what I wanted to do because of like a medical medical thing. And uh, wow. uh, I was at the processing center, and I was like, oh, fuck it. I'll go to art school. Like, sitting in my 79 <laughs> F-150 pickup truck. Sure. I'm like, well, fuck it. I can't go to the Army. I'll go to art school. And then all of my buddies went to the first Gulf War. And one of my really? buddies died, you know, oh, as a result man. of the war. Um, and I got to study naked art chicks. So, like, honestly, it's the hand of God guiding me, quite literally, like, man, hand, right. of, hand of the Almighty, uh, plucking me out of, like, of my little hometown, like there were seven kids my age in my graduating class. Sure. And uh, and 
six of them went to the Gulf War and I went to art school. And oh I, I just got lucky. I mean, I tra then I traveled the world as a design dork weirdo and, yeah. and they didn't. Um, so then I, I went to design school and I discovered Moorhead State where there was this guy named Phil Musso. And he's like, he's is he the like, instructor or is he a, I tend to think of him like pa there? patient zero. Like he's like, he's like the infector of all these things. Haley Johnson okay. describes him as the guy that infected us all with design disease. So Haley Johnson is the designer that has peace coffee and, and all the stuff for dirty girl and all the stuff for blue Q. Uh, local Minneapolis. Yep. Designers. Local Minneapolis sure. Maven. She worked for yeah. Duffy and Chuck Anderson and she's had her own shop right. for like 25 years. And yeah. she's my next door neighbor too. She like lives five blocks from me here too. Okay. So she's like my design hero. Sure. Uh, she calls it designer disease. So Phil yeah. Musso went to MCAD and I, okay. and I forget the lineage, but there's a direct line from the Bauhaus to Phil Musso to us. So if you look really? at the Bauhaus, it's like, the protogenitor of design theory, where you're, the, the idea of modern design is that if you if we're going to make things, if we're going to make like cups and plates and packaging and, and yeah. microphone stands and shirts, we should invest all of our artistic skills into those mass-produced things in the same way we do with fine art. That's Gosh. the idea behind. That's the revolutionary thing behind the constructivists in Russia, who then took that theory and brought it to Germany in the Bauhaus, and that produced the design education. But MCAT had a, wow. this amazing thing that they did, and, and yeah. they produced Phil Musso, who was the guy who instructed me, and Sharon Werner, and Haley Johnson, and Mike from Aesthetic, and totally. Scott Thayers, and Tim Larson, right? and yeah, the list goes on and on, Sarah Nelson, and the list goes on and on. And we Absolutely. were all just like a little, little nuts, like a little crazy. Um, and we all came to Minneapolis and kind of did our thing. So I discovered this amazing community at Moorhead State. Yeah. Uh, and, and for the first time, I realized I was just a fat farm kid who like had no <laughs> idea what the fuck I was doing. and was flat broke. When I, when I got out of high school, I applied for like 70 scholarships or something like that. Like, and including like, I applied for the Asian American Journalist Scholarship and like made it to the final round. Because <laughs> they never said you had to be an Asian American. But like, <laughs> just finally, like the final round, like you had to like write an essay about what it means to be Asian American. I was like, ah, oh, crap. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The gig is up. I was really thought I was going to get it too. Like, wow. uh, so there's a, fa it. there's a fair amount of grift in my history. My last year of college, Corey, Dude. at Morehead State, yeah. I, was flat, I was flat broke all the time. But I'd been an RA for like a year and a half. And uh, um, I, I got pretty good at silk screening, got pretty good at screen printing. Okay. So my friend Ken Nilsson and I, Ken, who's a pretty successful sculptor in New York and has been for decades. Wow. He and okay. I silk screened our own meal passes. No before, way. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, like, and, we, and we like weathered them and stapled them and pad, pad mounted <laughs> them so genius. they looked like, yeah, and they did. And we <laughs> ate free for a year. And it was... Aramark was the company that ran like the, the cafeteria. And every time oh we see the God. Aramark van, we go, oh, here comes a paddy wagon. But like we were like we were oh like all fifty year students, so we had long hair and beards. And we would go What sit. year was this? Oh, ninety two. Ninety two, okay. okay. Um, so we'd like we, wow. we, had, we had all of our friends who gave them free passes too. So we'd all go there, eat one huge meal a day, just like shovel food in because that's the only <laughs> meal we're gonna get. And we're all sitting next to these bright faced freshman students. Sure. And we ate free for all year. And there was uh, I was I'd been an RA, but there was a woman there who like took the tickets at uh, at the counter. And yeah. she, uh, she, she was like, she was like seventy years old then. So like, she thinks she's still there. She's like in her nineties now. Sure. Um, she said she finally got it, the ticket, and she said, uh, mm, you know, next time you come in, you might want to talk to the manager because they were like, like they're obviously counting more than they were selling. Oh, interesting. Uh, but then the best is like, I think my buddy Scott, 
uh, Ortad was the manager of the Student Design Center. And after they found out, they went to the design center where I worked. Yeah. And they said, yeah, we're getting these fake tickets. Can you actually design uh, one that can't be counterfeited? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure we can. <laughs> like, so they came to you for no, that? No, I'd been gone at that point. But okay. they came to the place where I worked. Wow. I thought funny. that was poetic. But I, and I lived at the art department. Like, I just moved out of my apartment. I lived on campus in the art department. Where did you sleep? You sleep couches, under a desk? Wherever. Or okay. Wow. Wherever. And my buddy Ken did too, same guy. Ken Ken was like, he'd walk around brushing his teeth and his jammies and stuff. He was much more <laughs> bold than I was, but I would just kind of like take cat naps for a few hours on the couch somewhere or do whatever. But yeah, just grifted my way through and just did it and really, and discovered design. So that's more at state where I discovered what the fuck design was yeah. or could be, or at least got an idea from it and kind of went nut bar just on this idea. Yeah. Um, and then I picked two cities. I picked New York and Minneapolis. Really? Like where it was going to be. Because I became, my, my fascination then as is now really centers around kind of like mid-late 70s illustrative American design. Yeah. Like I like all kinds of design, but I'll always touch stone back to that. That's like my first love. So like totally. Seymour Quast, David yeah, Lance yeah. Goins, Paul Davis, Pushpin Group. Yeah. Like those guys are the shit to me. So like I... I, sure. I got on a plane in 92, like I just took whatever money I had yeah. and I strapped my portfolio, this huge portfolio with, I had like a zinc plate inside. I think I had to weigh like 80 pounds. Like <laughs> I had to build like strap to carry it through New York, Gosh. but I went to go see Seymour Quast no and way. the Pushpin guys and Paul yeah. Davis yeah. and um, saw Luis Feely. Luis Feely gave me like two hours of her day. Like we had lunch oh, together and she was like, oh yeah, this is great. And, That's great. And then I flew out to San Francisco and met David Lenz Goings, like who's the guy who does the Shape and East posters and stuff. And like, okay. he also, I spent all day with him. He gave me my first shot of espresso. First, I'd never had, they didn't have espresso in Fargo. Didn't have, <laughs> it didn't exist there. Didn't, that didn't come until later. Oh my gosh. Uh, but I, yeah, I went to, I went to San Francisco and spent all day with, yeah. with David Lenz Goings and he was just so generous and so cool and. Like, I would write him letters from time to time. I was called him Professor because he was so influential to me. Uh, but then, yeah, oh then I, I, picked, I picked those two cities. Yeah. And I made, like, this a little fancy box. Like, silk screen, this fancy handmade box. It had my slides in it. Back in those days, you had slides. <laughs> sure. And silk screen my resume and all the stuff. And Dude. made, like, 50 of them. And uh, I got a job offer in New York at a couple places, I think. Gosh. Um, but then I, I just did not like New York at all. Like, Really? Well, I had a I had a business there for, for later. I had a business there for seven years. Interesting. And then when I was working at Duffy, we had a branch office there. Yeah. So I've always got some kind of business interest there, but I'm just not a New York guy. It's just too. It smells like pee. It's too big. All right, sorry, tangent. The name of the show is Tangent, so it's perfect for me. <laughs> uh, so I just didn't. The New York didn't really jibe with me. So luckily, totally. I got a job offer at Duffy Design, which that I, was your first gig. That first was your gig. First gig. Yeah. First, first gig of out of school. First deal. Only now, job. Only job. I, so well, that was I, in like '92 or '93. '92, summer '92. Now, was it just was it Duffy and Partners at the time, or was it still Duffy? And well, uh, Joe, Joe, um, who I have to say, both Joe Duffy and Pat Fallon, I would drink a tub of their dirty bathwater if they asked me. Like, even though oh, Pat's yeah. dead now, his bathwater be real dirty. But, like, <laughs> oh, I would, no. I would, I would lay down in traffic for both those guys because I yeah, was literally yeah. living out of my '83 Buick when they hired me. Wow. And I was sleeping in my Buick in the Walker parking lot. Which, shout out to the Walker. Love the Walker. No. I really do love the Walker, and I would go into the Walker and get take a whore bath in the in the bathrooms at the Walker. Like I'd go scrub up, oh my and God. they had like a payphone there. It was like you know, 
free cell phones. So I'd yeah. go to the pay phone and the docents were like, eh, whatever. And I would make phone calls and that's where I would like call for job interviews at like, you know, that in those days it was like McCool and company and like Miller Meester and, sure. and Fallon and Duffy and, right. and I was just, uh, like most things was just luck. So I, I mean, yeah. I had to work for it, but, uh, Joe had just, I think Joe in general, like he said, five or six different versions of his company, five or six different kind of different legal incorporations. Sure. He sold to, uh, let's see, Michael Peters Group at one point. Yeah. Sold, I think, to WPP and then sold to Fallon. Okay. And then, then that got sold to Saatchi. And he's been independent now, I think, since 2007. So like oh, wow. the last 10 years has been the longest stretch of independence, I believe. No, he sold again. They sold it again to like an interactive company. But they're, oh, in, really? they're independent again now. So wow. they're just, they're good business people. Like in addition to being immaculate designers, they're just... yeah. Really, an amazing engine for smart business choices. What is? I did not inherit that. <laughs> well, Jeff, what? Is, yeah, I, I'm obviously a fan of uh, Duffy, Duffy and Partners, Joe Duffy, Joseph Duffy, Allen, all those, all those guys and gals guys. there, right? But um, uh, yeah. So '92, I um, I was living out of my car, and and fortunately for me, Joe yeah. had sold his company to a British firm called the Michael Peters Group. And he yeah. would say, or he has said, that he just did not do to do his homework thoroughly. So he sold, sure, and you know had a good partnership. Michael Peters Group sadly went into bankruptcy in Britain, and then his company got dragged through bankruptcy as well. So he had okay. to like sell all of his assets and move out of the studio. Right. And so when I started, it was just Joe and another guy, Joe oh, really? and like Joe and like a junior designer that that clung on after wow. they had to fire everybody. And then there was. Nancy Coolis, I think, was still there. So it was like Joe, another dude, Nancy, and me. And okay. mostly it was just me and Joe and the other junior. Okay. <laughs> and and but we and we were we it was a perfect opportunity for me because like living leaving the eighty three Buick, big step up. Yeah, <laughs> and like yeah, we yeah. had no offices. Yeah. Joe and another guy were just like in a tiny cramped space at Fallon because mm-hmm. Joe and Pat were were college buddies. So like sure. Pat. They've always had a business relationship as well as a friendship. Okay. Um, they just had two, like one little tiny closet, like really as big as a closet. That's where Joe was doing his work. Really? And uh, we were we were building a new studio, but we had like a vacant floor in an adjacent building with like no lights, no computers. Duffy did not have computers at all at that point. Wow. Computers came with me. Like that was my job is to buy computers wow. as the intern. Jeez. And we had like T-squares and and and, sure. and Mayline rulers and, and not even lights. I remember having to go and like... Menards to buy light because we didn't have lights, and we had access to like the stat camera at Fallon, and that was it. That's Jeez. all we had: tech pens and stat cameras. But we just rocked it. And my first project at Duffy with just tech pens, stat cameras, and tracing paper got in the Smithsonian. Like I designed this brand Jeez. called Trailmark, that was like oh, a clothing wow. brand, and that's at the Cooper Hewitt in the permanent collection of the 20th century design. So like Jeez. first job, uh, first project out of the gate. It was just this awesome, great thing that, like, just like I mean, it was. I, when I think back, it's just like ridiculous. Like it was in <laughs> Graffiti and ID Magazine and no the One way. Show and all this shit, and like then got in the Cooper Hewitt and just gosh, was awesome. But it was just me, another guy, and Joe kind of. And Joe wasn't even there. Joe was like flying to meetings all the time. So it was just me and another dude sure. like working around the clock, like doing tracing paper sketches. And sure. I could run a stat camera, so I, I spent a lot of time with like the stat camera guy, a guy named Bob Lewitt, yeah. just like making stats and doing presentations. But I just loved it, and Gosh. Joe is just this amazing Lazarus guy. Like no matter what the conditions are, like he is not a gloom and doomer. Like okay, we're broke now, but fuck it, we're just gonna do great work and 
That'll be great. And he also, I think that's important. He could sell you a plate of your own shit. Like, and he, he'd be like, oh, yeah, I really need that. Like, he would, Joe has the ability to take a plate of really? your own human shit, not even his shit, your shit, and sell it back to you. He has like that ability. So, like, there's a harmonic, and you can't have one without the other to be great. Like, he has the ability to generate amazing design and the ability to define and sell and flow through the input on design. And it was just amazing. So a very lucky moment. So when I started at Duffy, yeah. uh, it was like 92, leaving my 83 Buick. And Absolutely. For, for like, my, I remember my, because I hadn't had a mailing address for like over a year. And I remember like, yeah, I got a mailing address. People can mail me letters and shit. And it's going to be great. And I'm no longer homeless. And what a step up. Right. Um, and just loved it. Just loved it to pieces. So then I was there for six years. So I went from designer to like senior designer. And then I was design director for interactive when I left. That was my, my final job there. Mm. Um, and I was... When I, did you leave? I left 98. Left 98. But when I left, I think when I started, Duffy was like Man. two people, kind of two and a half people. And when I left, Duffy was 80 people oh, with, a New York, with a full New York office. And they right. were expanding internationally. And Fallon had grown from 100 people when I started in 92. When I left, I think there were 600. Gosh. So very frenetic, and I left at a perfect time. I, I, you couldn't have timed it better. I left in 1998, and uh, wow, uh, Joe and Pat sold out to Saatchi in 99, okay. and then the company changed after that. What was one of the things that you feel like you took away? I'm sure there are many. Yeah, but what, yeah. What, you know, what's one thing that you the, appreciated the, from uh, working at the Duffy? The first and most important that I learned at Duffy is yeah. do not work for assholes. That is the first and oh, number one. Really? 100%. And don't ever take, I mean, there's like a litany, I can never stop, but the first is don't work for assholes. How, how do you and know? It, it, it's you'll a, find out. To be devil's advocate, right? It, you there's find they're out. just red flags early just on? Look at them in the eye, mostly. Red really? flags, too. Um, yeah. Ask people why they're in business. Sure. And if they, if they honestly have a triple bottom line message, and the triple bottom line is so easy, like this is the vetting for anybody who works at Replace, yeah. this is the vetting. Yeah. Triple bottom line. Economic bottom line, certainly, that's important. Sure. But is there also a social bottom line? Is there one? Sure. And is there an ecological bottom line? Do you have all three of those in place? Are you there for social benefit of whatever kind? And if hmm. there's anybody on my roster that isn't, doesn't have that triple bottom line message, yeah. you know? I mean, I just redesigned GeekSwat, so that was a pretty big project I did last year. You then, guys just did that recently? Yeah, we just redesigned GeekSwat. And they're like, they're their Fortune 50 company, so they have wow. all the conflicts and... Right problems that you would have with any Fortune 50 company, like they're a large transnational firm. Sure. But when we redesigned that identity, yeah, one of the reasons I took the job was that the chief inspector Nate Bauer told me that as part of this, I want you to redesign my fleet of geek mobiles, and we redesigned the geek mobile from being a gas guzzling VW Beetle, which is a cool looking car, but it's kind of a Got ecological time bomb. Sure. Um, right. They they changed their fleet, or we were able to redesign their fleet to go to a Prius hybrid. And just that one design choice, I think yeah. it's something like 100,000 gallons a year. I, right. I have to check that stat again. Totally. But it is an incredible change. Wow. Um, and, you know, just, I mean, if you look at Geek Squad and Best Buy, when we started designing, when we took on that project yeah. uh, at the very beginning of 2016, I think their stock was trading at 26 bucks a share. Something like that, and okay. today their stock is at fifty-six bucks a share. Oh, so gosh. if you're looking for like a return on investment, yeah. and obviously that's just not my design, but the design theory that they embraced sure. of like service and and ecological change. Right. That's real growth. That's a real deal. Yeah. Um, and the takeaway that I got wow. from Duffy is that 
if you're a designer and if you're in this business to do good for yourself, like you got to take care of yourself, mm-hmm. but doing good for like that triple bottom line, you're going to do something great. Um, from Pat Fallon, and this was in his book called uh, Juice in the Orange, which is not a well-written book, but you should read it. Um, fire the assholes. Like that's, that was the mantra. Like, Interesting. And that, stand, that stands for like parts of you yeah. that are getting asshole-y. <laughs> like you got to fire those parts of you. And like if you uh-huh. find yourself working with assholes, you just got to fire them. Got to fire, including clients. Interesting. So I, in my 22 years of running this shop, I think we've only had to resign six clients. And I won't say who they are. Sure. But I, but I, like, there were six times where I had to like tell a client I can't work, can't do work. And I probably think there were three times a client told me they couldn't work with me. Do you? How do you word that, Jeff? Straight? Do you just say straight up, or do you just say try to be as honest hey, as you we're can? Too, we're too busy. Um, I mean, can't I, take on more work. Or well, or at the very beginning, if, if you if you and this happens far more often, man. So like the the yeah. takeaway from Duffy is that you get a really cool, high paying client with a project, but then you get under the hood and you find out, oh God, no. Then the, the classic is like, no, I just, I don't have time to do it. And that's not a lie. Like, right. I'd, right. You know, I'd rather be waxing my car or gardening totally. or I, I got, that's more important time or my wife and kids yeah. more time. So that's not a lie. Absolutely. But once you get into a project and things start to go south, like we have triggers in our, in our contracts that are based in phases. So like we go in phases. Sure. So when, whenever we decide we want to be done, we can be done. Sure. So that's good for them and for us. So like in any phase of a client, like they pay in phases if they decide it's just not working or we suck. And, you know, we generally don't suck. We generally over deliver. I think 100% of the time we over deliver. Right. But you have to be able at a point where you can break off a relationship. So that's another lesson. Don't ever take a project you can't walk away from. Because I've I've seen that happen too. Yeah. You get sucked into some big... Uh, when I was working at Duffy, I watched Joe. I mean, this is just one guy. I mean, and yeah. Joe doesn't have rich uncles. He doesn't come from wealth. Like, he, like he's just a self-made dude. Sure. Um, he walked away. He resigned to McDonald's. Mm. Like, he told McDonald's, eh. I didn't know that. Wow. No, he resigned to Coca-Cola. Really? Like, he resigned to Coke. Wow. Because... And we did a lot. I mean, I designed Fortopia, which was like... Time Magazine's number four brand of the year back in 1994. Totally. And we designed Diet Coke and Mellow Yellow and yeah. Radio yeah. in Japan. And we did Mel- Minute Maid. Yeah. And Coke came back to them 10 years later. <laughs> like wow. after Joe resigned them, they came back sure. because they're like, oh, I remember you. You didn't suck. So let's come back to you. Um, That's crazy. So I, I forget where I am in the timeline here, but who the hell cares? The the the, the point is that <laughs> I, I went from being broke and homeless out of made through Buick to like literally traveling the world. So like from being yeah. in my car living in my Buick in 892, I very quickly went to like basically traveling to every city in the U.S. designing for Duffy and most wow. of the cities of Europe and Australia yeah. um, and everywhere else. Because we designed everything, man. We designed everything for Coke, for Miller Beer, for Stroh's, United Airlines, BMW. It's just a frenetic time. Since like Duffy was, it seems like a, they excel most at, they excel at a lot of things, but brand identity seems to be, and package design seems to be two of kind of their main things. Yeah, I mean, they, they've renamed their company Duffy Experience, and that's the truth. Because everything, yeah. even when I was designing there, like in, in 92 to 98, with no experience, yeah. I was designing video. I was designing interior spaces. Really? I was designing exterior spaces. I was designing clothing. I was designing wow. interactive experiences. 
like just I, like, I guess I consider brand identities to be to and the nice thing I like about branding is it feels like it encompasses kind of everything all the right? things reason I still like it too yeah so I guess I'm wondering like it the, do you feel like a lot of the projects that you guys do here at replace design at are largely brand identity yep. work. Yeah, I'd say 100% of them are. Like really? that's what we that's what we do is all brand ID stuff. Wow. But some of these client relationships go on for decades. So like Seward Co-op. Yeah. I've been designing for them for 14 years. They're they're a local Minneapolis. Local, very proud. 13 years I've been doing design work for them. Member-owned co-op since Jeez. we've been designing with them. They've grown from 7.9 million a year to 44 million a year, and that's like a member-owned co-op. They're the fastest do they only have? It's they're only three local, properties. Right? Three they have properties. Three locations. They have the uh, the Franklin store, which is the first one we designed. So we okay. did the exterior, yeah, of the Franklin store, working for uh, close architects at the time. What? Designed most of the interior spaces. Designed every pixel of their website. Um, and my developer Scott Anderson at Room Thirty Four, who designs almost everything that who codes almost everything we do. Scott okay. Scott is the best developer I've ever met, and that's really saying something because wow, they've been man. doing this shit for a while. Been, been designing websites since before there was an internet. Like when it was like the ARPANET. You the know, internet. Like, yeah. When it was still the ARPANET. Like the was, ARPANET. What is that? Oh, come on, Corey. ARPANET. You just lost. You I'm went 34. down the door. You went I'm down 34, the dude. Yeah. Dude. Is that? Uh, maybe I Brief history know. of the internet, Corey. Come on. 1969, the very first word that went across the internet was low, L-O, low. It was, uh, it was, they <laughs> was going to say loading. And I believe it was from UCLA to Cal State. Santa Barbara, two California universities, I forget oh, which two. Oh, yeah. Um, great documentary by Werner Herzog makes a big deal about called Lo and Behold. I think I, I did watch that. I yeah, watch internet that. came so, out in 1969, the same year I was born. Um, 1969, big year, big year, Corey. A lot of cool stuff happened that year. But that first That's word insane. that went across, what was then the ARPANET. So the ARPANET is named wow. after DARPA, which is Defense Advanced Research Projects Association. It's a military division. Okay. The ARPANET was a non-linear base of communication that was based in the need to communicate between military and academic facilities during a nuclear war. So if like Washington got nuked, they yeah. didn't want to rely on phone lines, which are on a linear binary. They developed a web system, and that's what the ARPANET was. Oh so my gosh. I remember communicating on the ARPANET on green screens back in the 80s with all my dorks. Um, the ARPANET then became <laughs> the internet. Um, I think most people say the internet happened, I think, in 91 at CERN. Sure. That's when WWW first happened. Sure. And I, I think it was on 91 because the very first message on the internet, people have to check this up, I believe it was on a Next computer. It was like Steve Jobs' uh, computer sure. at, between... Apple and Pixar. Right. He started next. I think it was the next computer that had the Who first. Paul Rand did the logo for. He did. Yeah. The best designer. Paul Rand. Going back May to he design. live a thousand years. Paul Rand. Yeah. I got to see him once. You got to see Paul Rand got to talk? See Rand. Yeah. I got to Give see him talk here in Minneapolis back in oh, 94. Shit. Stephen Heller uh, curated. And uh, every oh, designer in God. town went to go see crusty old Paul. Can I? And he was full of fire. Man, he was like 90 and he was a kicking ass. Like he was like. Dude. He just gave a shit. Going back day. to, uh, can I tell you a story, uh, Jeff? There's a story about Dude, Stephen it's your Heller. Podcast. Do There's a, you want. No, no, this is good. I, 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 I hey, I talk enough, man. Stephen but, Heller uh, was our first interview on Design Smoke. On our, he was our first oh, guy we interviewed. Going back to design, yeah. I we we're gonna talk about Design Smoke, dude. Yeah. I just I was gonna quick mention that uh, when I this was years, uh, this was years ago when the Graphic Design and Production Now exhibit was mm -hmm. at the Walker Art Center. Yeah. They, I like bought the book or whatever, right? You know, and um, 
Chuck and CSA and all that, and just ama- tons of amazing work. I think I think John Forrest of Nonform and yeah. a lot of his work was in there too. One of my favorite. Right behind you, two Nonform. Yeah, John yeah. Forrest posters oh, right I there. David Bowie the prints yeah. right there. Right Absolutely. There. But I remember like uh, there was an essay that Stephen Heller wrote in that book called Design Entrepreneur 3.0. Yeah. And I read it and yeah, it really resonated with me. So I was at the coffee shop. In between jobs, unemployed, probably, Jeff, who knows, right? <laughs> but I was like, okay. So then I'm like, I should just try and find Stephen Heller's email. I don't know if he has his email on his website or not. <laughs> I just go to his site, and I found his email somehow. Yeah, he's very accessible. And then, I, yeah, and then I emailed him, and I was like, and hey, And he emailed you right back, too, like right on the spot. He did. Yeah, he right. He emailed <laughs> me like an hour later, and I was yeah. like, hey, Stephen, you know, I, I, we've never met, but I just, you know, read your essay, Design Entrepreneur 3.0, and it, it just really resonated with me. So, you know, thanks for writing it, you know. Yeah. And I, you didn't do it for me, I know, but like, it, I appreciated like reading it, right? Anyways, mm-hmm. and I wasn't expecting anything in return. And then, yeah, exactly. Sure enough, an hour later, he emails me back. And what year with, was that? What year? Did with his was? mustache. Oh man, this is going. It's it's not too far back. It's probably like. I will give you. Unbelievably, we'll reach back here. Here's the very first copy. Get, I was, get this. I, I was in the. I was in that book. I was in the first one. I was in. So it's funny that you. Okay, so you know, no vi- no, visuals no visuals here, here but, but just Jeff, handed a copy Jeff, of Jeff Design just, Entrepreneur. <laughs> Jeff just handed me a copy of Design Entrepreneur, the book. This is funny because uh, Stephen Heller responds with his mustache, right? And he's like, <laughs> he's like, thanks, Corey. Uh, uh, how about you give me your your address and I'll mail you a, a good introduction to that book, right? To that essay, right? And then I'm like, what? And then I'm like, yeah, man, I could still mail you a check or something if you want, or at least pay for the the book, or at least shipping. You know what I mean? And then Stephen Heller emails me back and he's like, it's a gift. And then that, that's it. And sure yeah. enough, like a, a week later. Uh, I get a package from Stephen Heller's School of Visual Arts yep. MFA program, uh, and this was a book that he emailed uh, uh, he that knows, he mailed me. He knows, like he really invests. Like I flew out to New York to interview him for Design Smoke, which was a design blog I did for a while, Wh- which um, is a huge inspiration to yeah, yeah. To, to, to tangent here. Glad you too, dig it, man. Glad you dig it. Uh, oh. But he is he is the real deal. Like uh, I mean, I, I you know, I, weirdly enough, I mean, I interviewed with his his wife Louise Feely like back yeah. in '92. And right. she's the same deal. Like she just gives all kinds of generosity. But he really understands what Crazy he's doing. Generous. And he is extremely, extremely earnest and passionate about it. Yeah. And he can smell the earnest and passion on you or right out of your butthole. Like he just knows <laughs> he knows who you are sure. before you do. Like Gosh. he knows like how crazy you are about design before you even know it. And I could tell that when I was talking to him. And when I interviewed him, I was like, My God, you know, you see right through me. You know, how did Everything. you get a hold of him? To Same thing you. Him just him emailed him and said, hey, I've got this weird design thing, design smoke. So, oh, yeah, I'd love it. And then we just, like, we edited it down, but we talked for hours. Like, we just talked Gosh. for hours. And he's just a human he, yeah. repository of all things of design well, education. I always tell people, if you know, if, if you do graphic design, you should know Stephen Heller. If you do illustration, you should know Stephen Heller. If you do typography, you should know the name Stephen Heller, right? So I was like just that. in um, the Daily Heller for the first time. So I'd never been to the Daily Heller. So he interviewed ah, me no about a month ago for the Daily Heller because... I need to see that. I haven't read We uh, just redesigned or just designed a medical 
marijuana company called Vireo. Right. And Stephen Heller saw the work and he said, hey, I'm really interested in this because he comes from you know the baby boomer generation where it was called weed. So I had to sure. remind him that it's not called weed anymore, Stephen. Um, <laughs> um, and just there's been so much design resources that have rushed into that marketplace. And I love it. I mean, I actually, I don't smoke pot. Like I told you earlier, I got high for the first time when I was 40 right. in Haley Johnson's basement with her ex-husband, which is like, and the first time I got high, I was like, oh my God, like I really should not smoke weed because I had such a profound experience. Like, really? but if your brain's like 50 years old, man, good luck becoming an addict. Like if you, you know, you really got to work at it. You got to really sure. dedicate yourself to it. Um, yeah, so I think I've gotten baked like four times, but, um, right. but in terms of medical marijuana, I'm so passionate about that yeah. industry just because if you know anything, great book to read if you want to learn about the opioid epidemic in the U.S. is Dreamland. And I could not recommend a book wow. more important to read right now than Dreamland by... Dreamland. Oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the name of the author, Don Quijones, I think. I think. Okay. Quijones? I'm going to butcher his last name. But it's, it's an amazing design book. It's not about really? the design industry, but yeah. the opioid epidemic is horrible and there's just so much better Absolutely. ways of dealing with chronic pain. Yeah. And again, I'm fortunate I don't have chronic pain. I don't take any painkillers. I take fish oil. That's it. Yeah. Um, and the occasional gin and tonic. Um, but uh, <laughs> medical marijuana is such a better solution for chronic pain than opioids or even like Tylenol, which is such a better sure. medication for people who are dealing with like fibromyalgia or chronic pain or whatever. Right. So uh, the company that we work for, Vireo, who I'm very bullish on their brand and their mission, yeah. I'm very proud to put my energy into that brand. It is such a great, if you're really into like, if, you, if you're really into thinking about design as a very potent solution to the challenges of the human condition yeah. with a defined problem, like um, the founder of Mule Design is a huge hero of mine. Huh. And Mike... Uh, Moray or Moray? Mike. I say Mike from Oh, yeah, yeah. Neil. No, I know he's, him. He's, Mike Montero. Mike Montero. Yeah, he's the shit. He's like, a I really. Dude. He's really. A, he's a, he has a lot of charisma. He's in, buddies with Aaron Traplin, so in, that's kind of how I found out. In about addition him. to his design skills, which are epic and mighty, yeah. his brain. It's just his brain. Like, and argue, you could probably say it's the same thing, but sure. his way of uh, articulating what design really is. Design is solving a problem with a confined set of parameters. Sure. And in the chronic pain area, like you have a confined set of parameters. And yeah. opioids are just a poor choice for right. chronic long-term pain and medical marijuana, medical cannabis is. Yeah. So I'm really bullish on that. So he did an article just about applying design thinking to that world. And wow. there's kind of a rush to market, certainly. Um, and I'm not a cannabis user, so I, I did not get into cannabis through the recreational route where sure. other design companies like Duffy, they did a great brand called Good Chemistry. Mm. out in uh, Colorado and okay. several of other of my design colleagues have done really cool you know recreational cannabis brands and they're great totally and maybe one day I'll do one of those who knows yeah. but from medical marijuana I just think that's an awesome place for the design industry to be and there's some designers yeah. who don't want to be into that world but it is such a great medication for those people who deal with chronic pain that yeah just awesome Absolutely. gotta read dreamland one of my favorite projects of yours Jeff I think it originated as a poster for a replacements show. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of a since this is just audio, it's kind of a visual of like. Is that a, the whiskey bottle? A whiskey bottle. Yeah, the and whiskey. Then Thank you. Hand lettered like type on it yep. of yep. one of the replacements lines. Yeah, so I'm a huge replacements fan. You know, and obviously the name replacements. Your head's has, in the right place. Has a place in the right place. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, replacements is one of my favorite bands of all time. It Hell still yeah, man. Maintains one of my favorite bands. Absolutely. We uh, we founded a poster studio 
called Big Table Studio in St. Paul, which later became Hamilton Inkspot, which sadly just closed this month. Yeah. After eight years of business, but awesome studio. Oh, yeah. And we did a, we did a benefit for Slim Dunlap, former um, guitarist for the replacements. Sadly, he had a stroke. Right. And we did a poster benefit show for his family, and we, mm-hmm. uh, gosh, probably 30 of us maybe did posters I, for it. I, I was in it. You're I had in a poster in it. it. Yeah. Everybody, really Sam good Anderson work. had a print in it, too. Really beautiful collection Static of apparatus did. Sold you out did. right away. I just, uh, dude, just when, when I was there, there was like gone, a line out the gone, door. Just everybody's edition sold out. I have yeah. one that's on the wall. I have one print. Actually, yeah. no, I don't even have that anymore. I've got a digital print on the wall. I don't know. Oh, really? That. Yeah, that's a digital print. I don't have a... <laughs> maybe I've got one. Oh, I think I've got one over there. i got one left. Yeah, I don't but, think um, any of... I, mine, like, sold out, too, and it's rare because it seems like that's never really... I'm, I'm not, not a, I'm not a collector of anything. <laughs> I don't. I don't collect books. I don't collect CDs. I don't collect posters. I don't collect anything. So I give away everything. I don't have anything of my own stuff. I just... And that's just pure... Yeah, I man. Don't give, I don't hold on to anything. No, just give it all away. I like but I, uh, I hand-painted the lyrics with a spotting brush right. on uh, a, um, a Jack Daniels bottle. And I specifically picked a Jack Daniels bottle because <laughs> that was designed by Alan Colvin over at Q, who oh, I also shit. worked at Duffy. Alan's he, great. Alan and I worked together for like four or five years together. Really? And he's the shit. I mean, yeah. he's so well, much. I've he's met a, with him. He's a great he's dude. He's just the joy of design inside the guy. I didn't know he made that guy. bottle, though. And honestly, like, shit. I think Alan Colvin has said 10 words in his life. Like, he's, he's just a, quiet. He's a man of few words. Doesn't need yeah. them. Yeah. Work, work does Tal- all the talking. Talented as fuck, yeah. Work does all the talking. Wow. But he redesigned the Jack Daniels bottle a couple of years ago. So it was like his, his bottle. So I made sure to grab that. Gosh. Sh- scrape the label off, wash it up. And then I hand painted with a spotting brush and just like white out or white paint. Yeah. All the lyrics to Here Comes a Regular, which is a kind of a story of an alcoholic at a bar. Right. And it's one of my favorite, one of my favorite songs. So hand painted it, track. which, you know. Took a while. I painted about a third of it, and then I had a couple interns here finish it. So, like, there were, sure. I think Dan Sheeran painted some of it, and Ian Colstead painted some of it. Okay. And um, uh, Brust, 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 Brust. Oh my gosh, can't remember her name. Oh my gosh. Hey. Brust, yeah. I can't remember her first name because I just had a drink. We got um, her last name. Yeah, I got that. But like three different interns finished the, the lyrics on it. Right. There. And then we we took a photo of it. Yeah. And from that photo, we did a posterized print. So we printed like three or four colors. Right. And it turned out really, really well. Yeah. But when we shot the the bottle, um on our downstairs in our photo studio, the right. la- the the lamps were so hot. Like whiskey is not meant to be like under heat. Sure. So the bottle exploded and shattered into a million pieces and luckily it didn't slice the eyeballs of the photographers who were shooting at the insurance. <laughs> so the whole thing exploded. Oh um, god. And then we thought, well that's a perfect metaphor for the replacements right there. Just like great intentions <laughs> and blood. But we got the shot. We got the shot on the camera. We got the shot. So we great. collected all the pieces and we put that on display too with the poster. That was in a glass box. Right. And I think somebody knocked that over so it broke again. No. So it even broke one more time. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, that was a cool poster. I'm glad, to, I'm glad you remember it. Glad uh, you like I'm it. a fan. I'm a I'll fan. Get you, I'll get you a print. You go to replaceeverything.com. You can, you you can, can buy a tote it. bag. Buy a dress. A you can buy a dress. Leggings. And what have you. Phone cases. Pillows. <laughs> socks. Any number of things. And then 50% of it goes to a series of five charities, which is cool. Glad you dig it. Um... Let me try and think about. We can edit some of this. It'll sound. It'll sound smooth, Jeff. It'll sound like butter. I would say that it's something to watch in the industry that's important to me is the spec work rise. 
Clients are cl- clients are getting back yeah. into the 1970s. Yeah. And that was a bad habit that happened after the crash. Yes. Nine years ago. A lot of cl- design companies just started doing whatever work they could. Yeah. And I think that's where spec work came back. Totally. But uh, I did an interview with Stephen Heller for an article about this. This was recently. Recently. That he we, posted on the Design Heller. He hasn't Heller. posted yet because I, I don't know if it's... A, I don't, oh, it's so recent. Okay. I don't know if it's really a story yet. Okay. But it is. it happened with Best Buy and, okay. I, and I don't know why yeah. that happened. But um, I talked with John Dufresne about it. Oh, and, JD, uh, he's and, good. Uh, John said, yeah, it's a real huge issue. And he's the one that said these hybrid agencies are doing spec work. Sure. And as designers, we just have to put our foot down and say, no, we work really hard yeah. to get spec work out of our industry. And it has crawled back in. Uh, totally I mean, I'm never going to do spec work because I never have. Yeah. And it's not the way you don't, you don't get the best work by getting three designers together and say, okay, everybody do a project for free yeah, and do it as fast as you can. Totally. That's not how John and Pops happened. That's not how Seward Co-op happened. Yeah. That's not how Minnesota State Fair happened. That's not how Geek Squad happened. That's not how Joya happened. That's not how Tank Goodness happened. Or that's yeah. not how Chow Girls happened. We do, or we do a profession and we specialize in something well and you should get paid for that. Like you nobody, would go nobody into... Nobody at Deloitte does spec work, all right? Yeah. <laughs> nobody at Morgan Stanley... Yeah, well, maybe right. Do. But nobody right. at Goldman Sachs does spec work. Yeah, they're highly trained professionals who provide a service. Right, and designers, Same with like plumbers effect. and electricians. You don't, and you I don't. can't believe, I honestly can't believe, in 2017, yeah, this has become an issue. So it's, yeah. it's become a point of passion for me since it affected me financially, but totally. it also just affected me like this is a client I've been working with for 20 years. And, yeah, and the you know, client teams change all the time. Like you're asking designers to do spec work. You're asking designers to work for free. Yeah, which we should explain. Spec stands for speculative, right? So, uh, correct. Speculative, like do this work for me, and maybe I'll pay you. Right. And depending and upon, like if, if they have the rights to do it. So, like think about this, like uh, right. in, in that pitch with Best Buy, yeah. there were ten design companies who just gave them free work, and now they own it all. Gosh. Yeah. How long ago was it? That was a couple not- months ago. Before I went to New Zealand, it was just before I went to New Zealand. Okay. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that they. The, the question was asked. And they're not the only ones. Yeah. They're, and honestly, they're not, again, they're not evil. They're wonderful people. They're yeah. great. I know these guys. They're, they're fine. They're just like, totally. this, that's an executive decision that happens in a lot of companies where like they, the, they, they come from like, well, if I'm going to order a thousand stereos, give me one for free. Like, yeah. so I can test it. Right. Or if I'm going to order 10,000 cars, give me a car for free so I can test it. Yeah. That's where that philosophy comes from. But in our industry, our ideas are our only product. Totally. There's nothing else. Yeah, yeah. And uh, no one else is talking about it, so here I am talking about it. No, it's good, man. I, I've had similar experiences with spec work, but not in regards to studios, even though freelance is essentially I mean, my own studio to a certain extent, too. Sure, but like, studio, yeah, absolutely. But 
In the eyes of the law and God. Yeah. <laughs> but I've had, I, when I've applied for other gigs, people will be like, yeah, we love your work. Uh, we love your portfolio. And your resume looks good. You know, it's always with the fucking resume. It's like, how about the work, man? Yeah, but anyways, but uh, they'll be like, we want you to do this project, you know what I mean? And see what you think. And then, and then I'll respond and I'll be like, yeah, I'll gladly do this project if you'll pay me for it. You know what sure. I mean? And then they'll be like, oh, we can't really pay for it. And then it's like, well, then I'm not going to do it because I don't do spec work. You yeah. know what I mean? And and like, and a lot of those companies will be like surprised by it or they'll be like, what? It'll be what? like, but how are we going to gauge if you were the right fit or not? And then it's like, well, by meeting with me and seeing the work that I've, that I do and the pre previous yeah, projects that's, that that's, I've done that's, that's and their, you got to like, gauge. That's their saying, well, we don't know if you can do the project. Well, yeah, that, well, there's the portfolio. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. The, the the equivalent is like going into a restaurant. Well, I don't know if this is going to taste good. So can you just give me a meal for free? Yeah. And then if I like it, I'll pay for it. Like in the movie industry. Yeah, it's crazy. When you pay for a movie, you pay the admission up front. Yeah. <laughs> and like you go, you know, and you go experience it. Right. Or like there's no other industry. Like you say, go to like an auto shop. Well, fix the car. Yeah. And if I like it, I'll pay for it. Right, yeah, or right. Like, it, or go to the grocery store. I'm gonna get a bag of groceries. If I really like it, if I enjoyed the food. I'm gonna come back and I'll buy another bag. <laughs> right, like that's it's crazy. It's an, it's an it's crazy. But in their mind, it's like, well, I don't know if you can do this project. Well, sure you can. Look at the portfolio. And in my case, I got 25 years. Yeah. If if my work in 25 years right. cannot give you a clue <laughs> of like what I can deliver. Then okay, then you shouldn't hire me. You're like really, you shouldn't hire Dude. me. I, I feel like going back to Chuck Anderson at CSA Design, he would mention that too. And kind of when I was there years ago in like 2009, it, it, I forget. I, I think Chuck said something like, you know, it's pretty amazing how like it seems like a lot of companies and clients can't like make the connection themselves and be able to be like, oh, you do a lot of brand stuff or you do a lot of logos or package design. It seems like they need it to be the exact same thing. Like <laughs> the it's exact like, same thing. A like, shoe, like dig this you've way. You've done. You've done a shoe. So Exactly. Or you've done package design for a huge orange juice company. <laughs> now I we think you can do it. And it needs to be like to the T. You know what I mean? Like no one can just be like, okay, you, you, you do package design well or you do branding and logos well. We can make the connection. Let's hire you. Yeah. And, and yeah. go from there. Yeah, the miracle of someplace like Nonformat. So Nonformat is one of my favorite design companies in the world. I love Nonformat. Who is, is John uh, John Force, Force and uh, Shell, uh, I forget his last name, he's a Norwegian guy. And actually, I, I got to yeah. look at their office when I was in Norway. I just happened to be staying in a hotel in oh, like no where Nonformat was. Never got to meet, I've never met Shell before. Of course, I met John a bunch of times. Yeah. The miracle of Nonformat is their work is so different from project to project. I mean, there's always like a level of design aggression, I think, in their work. But the miracle sure. of non-format baked into the name yeah. is that they'll have a client say, well, here's what we want, you know, and they look at their work and like, okay, well, that'll be like that. I'm like, nope, <laughs> it looks different every time. Like, Interesting. It's really, they, have a, they, have a, they have a sensibility, certainly. But if you look at and the- And it's generally typography, Typography, photographs, illustration. I mean, yeah. in core, it's design. But sure. if you look at like just the delivery that they have, yeah. What is so impressive to me in their work and Mike China. So I, I put Mike China non-format kind of that same, Mike's kind, of, great, same kind of bucket. Both of them like they are so radically different project to project. Yeah. Um and they're heroes of mine for that for that skill base. Yeah. That they actually get the trust of a client and they go, No man, 
I'm going to the left field. I'm going way the hell out here. That's great. Is that my Sagmeister too? I mean, I put Sagmeister in my hero list. Totally. Got, you, I don't know if you went to his movie performance here, but I, I was I, there. I gave him we a saw single, each other there. single standing ovation. I was the only guy that stood up standing <laughs> ovation just because it's such a fucking weird thing that he did. I mean, the, the, the movie should be called 50 Reasons to Not Date Steven Sagmeister. <laughs> like, like, the, the movie is just like why you should never be involved with him romantically ever. Uh, and I wanted to tell him that I think you're confusing happiness with pleasure because like that was the issue with the movie to me is like oh, so much like pleasure and happiness are two different parts of the brain. The, sure. the pleasure emotion is a lower feeling. You feel it in your body. Sure. It's like sexual pleasure and like a great drink. That's pleasure. Okay. Happiness is above your head. That's like an altruistic feeling like this podcast is a happy feeling because it's like, interesting. it's like you're not getting any benefit really. You're just being happy doing it or volunteering. Yeah. That's happiness. Yeah. Or it's a general happiness is a generous feeling. Pleasure is a taking feeling. Gosh. And like, I think what I wanted to tell him afterwards, like you should really know there's two distinct feelings, happiness and pleasure. And he was measuring pleasure, not happiness. Interesting. Um, but also, yeah, don't ever date Stephen Hawking Sagmeister. <laughs> that, was like, like, that, was, that was like the subtext of that movie. It's like, yeah, I think you're just a bad boyfriend. <laughs> I think you're, I, maybe that's just any artist, though, right? Don't you think? I mean, does anyone, I don't know. there's a certain neuroses in, in ego, not necessarily ego, to, to like a lot of artists and then just having their own niches. And yeah, I think that's a human condition, too. But I think artists generally gets back to that dissatisfaction thing we talked about earlier. Like, sure. You have to identify the dissatisfaction is part of the job requirement. And if you're not feeling dissatisfied, you will yeah. not be challenged enough to make something beautiful. You'll just accept it. Like, like I think about huh. this a lot. The person who loves that shovel, they're not going to invent the backhoe. They're just not because mm -hmm. they're happy with the shovel. Like the, the guy mm -hmm. who loves the broom, they're not going to invent the rotary broom in front of the bobcat. They're just not because they're happy with it. Sure. Anybody who's happy with the world, you're not going to be a good artist. You're just not because you don't have the desire to replace it and to make your will vocalized on the planet. And you have to be able to understand that that feeling of dissatisfaction is part of the job requirement. Yeah. And I don't think Iggy Pop was satisfied when he wrote Raw Power. I don't think David uh, Bowie was happy when he wrote Berlin. I don't think sure. Lou Reed was happy when he wrote The Blue Mask. And I don't think... Yeah. You know, fill in the blank. I don't think Picasso was happy when he did Guernica. I think he's the opposite. I think he was really upset. Totally. He was dissatisfied by it. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't think Wagner was happy when he wrote Flight of the Valkyries. Like, I think he was so just... So how does that word catch on? You just... Is it is the goal of the artist, at least in my mind, is always just doing the work and putting it out there? And it's I, think, the, I think it's deeper than that. I think... Well, I can only speak for myself because I only feel my feelings. I cannot feel your feelings, Corey, because their feelings belong to you. Totally. But uh, I... When I see something that doesn't, that is not designed well, and a client produces something to me that's not designed well, or there's nothing designed, my job is to make it as beautiful as I possibly can and yeah. speak in the correct way and do the right things. Yeah. That's my motivation. If I do it well, I feel good about it. Um, same with writing, too. Like, I'm not satisfied right now because my writing is not to the quality that I would like it to be, and I don't have the aplomb and the acumen that I feel like I deserve to have. So I'm just going to get through that feeling, I guess, and just do it. But sure. And before I'm not, before I'm not a good dad, you know, like right now, my, both my kids are home right now and I just got off the phone because they need dinner. And I'm, gonna, no, like, no. I'm dissatisfied with that because I'm going blame it on loafing and blame it on fucking loafing. It's kept me here a goddamn night. Um, that dissatisfaction is a healthy feeling. Yeah. And I feel like, um, 
the the tragedy of the past 20 years um, or 25 years uh, that we've been fed this bill of goods that we're supposed to live a pain-free life. And certainly the opioid epidemic is, is a result of this pile of horseshit yeah. that we've been sold. And the psychopharmacology industry, like I have a lot of friends of mine who've been on antidepressants for 20 years and, sure. and it's helped them. But I think we've been given this load of horseshit that you're supposed to live a pain-free life. Like you're always supposed to be happy. That's the point of that movie. It's like, you're supposed to be happy. No fucking way we're supposed to be that happy. No, we're supposed to be sure. ruined and challenged yeah. and sad and right. depressed and the whole range of the human emotion. Yeah. And the designers that I know that are the best, and yeah. you know all of them too, these aren't happy people. <laughs> like they're, sure. not, they're not fucking rainbows and unicorns, man. Yeah. Like they're really serious people. Sure. And they get kind of bummed out by how shitty everything looks. Sure, and, man. And I, I love them. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I, I have to love them yeah, completely. Man. Like Henry Rollins has this great, great, great oh, yeah. speak. Like I have, a, I have a book list that I require all of my designers to buy. I buy books for every designer that comes through here. <laughs> every there's like 21 books that I buy for them. Yeah, man. Ross, Rossy Pants, he had got those books. And, and, well, yeah, going and back to Steve, Steve Yokish and all those guys, they all got the books. One is Black Coffee Blues by, uh, by Henry Rollins. And he has this great quote about wow. there's two movies at a movie, at a movie, at a movie cinema complex. One movie is Super Happy Guy Who's Happy About Everything. Sure. Nobody's in that line. Sure. The movie next door is Psycho Motherfucker Killing People. Everybody's at that line, oh, <laughs> and man. why are they at that line? Because they know that guy, Interesting. <laughs> the super happy guy. Nobody knows that guy. Um, so, so like, this bill of goods that we were sold, Corey, like that we're supposed to live a pain-free, happy life. Yeah, that's just a lie. Like we're supposed to ex experience happiness, experience pleasure, experience depression, experience yeah. this whole fucking range of stuff. But if you're in the design game, be dissatisfied because sure. it's a good motivator. That's good, man. Well, is that enough? <laughs> I, I think I think that's good, man. All right, we'll have more ground to cover when we get you back to do design smoke. When I get off my ass <laughs> and I got two shekels to rub together, and I can restart that. What, when are you going to start it? When are you going to? I, I should be doing it now. You? Like I, I would say, I do, you don't want to blame life, but just life happens. No, so totally. like like married, I got two kids. Like being a dad's my full time job. Yeah, um, had Absolutely. to make cuts here. Yeah. Uh, my I do elder care for my mom, so that sucks up a huge time of resources. Yeah. Um, and then just whatever, you know. So and I'm also writing this book. I'm fifty thousand words into the damn book. And I think the reward <laughs> for me finishing the book is that I'll pick up Design Smoke again. So you'll know when you'll be my first interview. Hey. When I restart it. You know, I mean, I, it was a design smoke was a huge inspiration for me. And I, when did that even start? We ever talked about like, this. So like so when you saw Design Smoke. Yeah. What did you think about that? Because I, the reason I started Design Smoke is to do exactly what we're doing right now. Yeah. This is why I, I mean, did it. Was it. Pre, it was pre-podcast. I mean, yeah, was there was pre no podcast. It was like 2007, podcast. 2006. Yeah. So like well, yeah. over, well over a decade ago. And, and it was and just I, me and just, a video camera. Yeah. And I interviewed Stephen Heller and... And Art Chantry. Art Chantry. And Katie of and, our day. And, and Duffy and Mike China. Bill and Thorburn. Bill Thorburn. Tim Larson, Tim Larson, and all I did was call them up and just say, Sarah "Hey, let's Forrest. talk." Yeah, and it was, it was amazing. It was a blast. They're all still on my website. If you go to designreplace.com to the archive and you scroll all yeah. down to Design oh, Smoke, I've, they're I've, all there. I think I've watched them all. Yeah, they, except there was one 
that I couldn't find on your guys' site currently, and, and I do want to ask this question because I, I can't remember the name. It was some dude in New York, and you guys were talking about, he was like a storefront window artist. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we lost that Ooh. one. So, like, we, oh, we no. lost that video. <laughs> Um, and yeah, yeah, you did the surfing at Macy's. That was such a fun interview. That's all well, we did. Well, the oh. interesting part about it. I'm Jeff, so glad you remember that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember it because of this one thing and I can't remember the, I, I, I termed it the rule of like five, but I don't know if that's the correct term, but it was based on the idea of poster design that you yeah, could five, five and five, five, five and five. Is that yeah, it? That's what's my, it's my own rule that I made up. So my rule of a poster design is like five, five and five. When you have a really good poster, everyone that just fucking sings. Yeah. It always gets you five, five, and five. Now, it what has is to, that? It has to, a poster has to engage you at 50 feet. So imagine 50 feet. 50 feet's a long ways away. Yes. Like, like well, I'm, I'm the, the replacements poster that you like so much. So we're about 50 feet from that right now, and there's something For engaging. Sure. There's, a, there's a silhouette there. Yeah. Um, and you're engaged. Or the, the John Force posters we're looking at over here, the David Bowie posters. Totally. They're engaging at 50 feet. They fucking nailed it. Yep. And then you get to five feet. And then you are engaged again and you're rewarded at five feet. And, sure. you, and it's a whole new poster. It's like a whole new deal at five feet. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this is really great. And then you get to five inches. When you get to five inches, it's like, oh, it's a whole new deal. Like there's something in here. It's like you fill a bucket with rocks. You think it's full. Then you fill it with pebbles. And oh, it's still not full. And then sure. you fill it with sand. And it's still not full. Then you fill it with water. <laughs> and then, then maybe it's finally full. But like the five, yeah. five and five thing, that's how I judge a lot of work. Like, is it, can you get it at 50 feet, five feet and five inches? It, and and is you, that just based on the idea of playing, the idea of playing with scale, making it interesting from a distance, but also making it an element of it interesting. I think it's understanding up. that you're a moving human, like the, the, you're a moving real dynamic human in three spaces moving all the time. Ah, and the static yeah. designers, we focus on the static things so much, like that Duffy can that we're looking at right now for summer that we both love so much. Right. It's a 360 unit, man. It's like good. Yeah. All, it's good at all sides. There's no bad side to that can. Right. Like it, it, it's that good, and it's meant to be seen in an experienced environment. Or those Steven Sprouse sure. um, uh, uh, like skateboards that my buddy Aaron Pollock designed like 15 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Like they're that good still, man. Like there's, I still like looking at them 15, 17 years later. Or even that like Voyager canoe paddle, like that thing is good at 50 feet, five feet and five inches. Wow. But the five, five and five, I mean, yeah. I could write a whole design book just called that five, five and five. Well, that really even, that's why that episode of Design Smoke really stood out to me was I never really heard that like idea or that notion before. It, it, it is certainly applies to poster design, but I think it applies to all, all art things, design. Man. Yeah. yeah. Why yeah. is the Guggenheim Museum in New York that good? That's why. Yeah. It's that good. Like, why is Frank Lloyd Wright's work any good? Or Maya Lin's work? Sure. Or any of their stuff, because they just fucking nail you at every level. Gosh. Or Lou Reed. Why is Lou Reed that good? They get you at every level. Man, That's they interesting, fucking man. got you by the nuts. They got you by the brain. They got you by the toes. So for you, it's not only just the visual element of scale, but also just the substance and the ideas yeah. and the different yeah. levels of it. How deep it is. Like, why is Art Chantry's good work? Like yeah. it's candy coated, glossy shit, but there's always an idea in there. Right. Like that's why his work is good. Yeah. There's always an idea buried inside there. And why is, you know, uh, Jessica Hish, like, 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 I forget, is that her name? Yeah. 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 Jessica Hish. Why Lettering, is her work, why does her work that good? Because she just gets you at every level. Sure. Or, yeah, man. That, that is why, you know, think of any of the people that we gravitate to. Think of Louise Philly. Like, 
Totally. Her work just gets you at every level, always. Yeah. Or Paula Scherer. She's probably my favorite designer in the whole world, probably. Yeah, like I think she's a talented lady. Like, she's just amazing. Yeah. But she gets you at every level, always. It's good, man. Cool. Well, thanks for hanging out, Jeff. Corey, thank you so much for having me on Tangents. Look forward to talking to you again. Young Jake. Good. All right, man. <laughs> thanks a lot. Be well. great huh you guys had fun thanks to our buddy jeff man buddy jeff johnson visit his website at designreplace.com you can visit his store what we were talking a little bit about in this episode that is replaceeverything.com and then i have a link also in the show notes to his facebook you should check that out i think you got to be friends with them to see his feed and shit but uh he posts a lot of interesting fun stuff so Check that out, all right? Okay? You guys, Tangents, man. You can stream this shit on SoundCloud, and you can subscribe under iTunes, under the Apple Podcasts. Just search for Tangents in your podcast app, right? And it should be the first one that pops up. It's kind of like a mint green-looking design uh, that says Tangents, you know? Big old super graphic. Made it a little while back. All right. Okay. And, uh... Well, what else, man? Oh, if you guys like this, it would be nice to... Uh, you could rate, you know, if you liked it. I don't know if it's like five stars, ten stars, or whatever. You know, uh, don't give it one. Yeah, if you're going to rate it, maybe don't give it one. But but maybe... I just just rate it at any case, man, because it helps uh, helps people see the, the show. You know what I mean? Under the podcast and shit. So, you know, if you enjoyed this... Go and rate it on iTunes, right? Leave a little, leave a little note for me, hate mail or you know, or pleasantries, whichever. All right, uh, other credits and shit here. Theme music or uh, yet again, our buddy Yasuki Satsumi uh, from the FreeMusicArchive.org. Check out his shit and sentimental stuff there. And yet again, Sheridan Fox interlude music, man, our buddy. Nick Zidane's buddy, my buddy, your buddy, Sheridan Fox. Visit his site, buy that album at sheridanfox.bandcamp.com. I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. All right. Thanks for hanging out, dudes. We'll, we'll, uh, it's good to be back yet again. I said that last time, and then uh, I didn't have another episode for like seven months. So, you know, I'm going to try and not do that. So... Uh, we're going to try and post more frequently, but, it, you know, you just got to know. It takes a while to edit these episodes, record them, edit, and trying to get the audio as good as possible and shit like that. Don't want to waste your time, all right? Okay? Good. We'll see you down the road. <laughs>